0: The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Thank you so much for joining us today. As we continue to walk through the Gospel of Luke, we have finally arrived at the last week of Jesus' life. He has been journeying to Jerusalem. Now, for us, for the last few weeks, just as far as our text. Goes. He's literally been journeying since Jericho for a few days. Uh, the crowds around him have grown. He just finished teaching the parable that we looked at last week, the parable that was trying to prepare this growing crowd for the letdown that was coming when he enters Jerusalem and does not establish the kingdom of God right then. He's trying to prepare them for that, but they're not listening because the excitement level right now is huge it's off the charts big the disciples are jazzed because this is going to be their payoff their payoff for having left their homes and their families 3 years ago to follow Jesus they're finally going to get Their reward when Jesus enters Jerusalem, there's crowds who get front row seats to what could be the biggest event of their lifetime. They're excited. They get to see this live. The religious leaders are scared. Their worst nightmare might be coming true. This teacher from somewhere out in the boonies is coming in and he might set up as the Messiah. They're scared to death. And still there's others who it's just a normal Sunday but something big is happening outside of their town. So as Jesus travels, we pick it up in Luke 19, verses 28 through 36. After Jesus had said this, it's talking about the parable, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem as he approached Bethpage and Bethany, that's two miles east of Jerusalem. So he's still two miles out. I want you to keep that in your mind. And at the hill called the Mount of Olives, He sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. It's an unnamed village, small village. Go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. That's very interesting because up until this point, Jesus has referred to him as the son of man, himself as the son of man. And now he says, if anyone asks you why you taking this donkey, let them know the Lord, the Lord needs it. Verse 32, those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. We don't hear the owner's answer, but verse 35, they brought it to Jesus. So obviously the answer was sufficient. The Lord needs it, was sufficient, and they brought the colt back to Jesus. When they got to Jesus, they threw their cloaks on the colt, the little saddle, so Jesus doesn't hurt his bottom. Throw their cloaks on, put Jesus on it, and as they went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. So I always ask you to picture these narratives in your mind. I, I want you to stop, pause, and just see this. The disciples have gone to get this donkey that is prophesied about, we'll read that here in just a moment, has brought it back to Jesus, and this procession into Jerusalem is about to begin. Now, there's already a large crowd with Jesus who see him hop up on this donkey. So they see the two disciples take off their cloaks, and they go, oh, we'll, we'll take off our cloaks as well. This, this is good. This is good. And they're on the eastern side of the Mount of Olives the Mount of Olives is going to be very, very important in the next week of Jesus' life. He's going to do many things there. He's going to weep for Jerusalem there. We'll see that next week in our text. He's going to give the Olivet Discourse there, which is his sermon on the end times. He's going to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane there on this mountain. And he's going to ascend into heaven after his resurrection from the top of this mountain. The Mount of Olives is huge. So it's fitting that this procession into Jerusalem, It begins on the eastern side of the Mount of Olives, and it comes up and over, and at the top of which they're going to be able to see Jerusalem. They're going to be able to put their eyes on Jerusalem. The prize is right there. It's Matthew actually who gives us clarity about the importance of the donkey he says it's done to fulfill prophecy zechariah 9:9 is the prophet who said jesus will enter jerusalem or the messiah specifically will enter jerusalem on the back of a donkey let's read zechariah 9:9 rejoice greatly o daughter of zion shout daughter of jerusalem see your king comes to you righteous and having salvation Your king comes with righteousness and salvation. Your king comes gentle and riding on a donkey, specifically on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. So this was written hundreds of years before prophesying how the Messiah must come to his kingship. So this is fulfillment of the prophecy. The image is one of a peaceful king, not a warrior king. See, a warrior king comes into town on the back of the largest horse they can find. The most beautiful steed they can find. That's how a warrior king comes in, but not a suffering king. A suffering king comes in humble and on the back of a donkey. But yet the people were excited. They were excited. And they were treated to the spectacle as the king was on his way. And they take off their cloaks and they throw them on the ground as a sign of honor and respect. And they begin. And they worship in the best way they know how. They begin with a remembrance from the past but they quickly turned to a present day worship experience. Jumping back into Luke 19, verses 37 and 38, Luke describes how this worship began. When they came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, okay? So they've crested the hill and they come to that top and they see it, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen, for all the things he had done, for all the ways that he had proven that he's no mere man, they began to praise him. They said this, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Okay, when I say they began with a remembrance, they went back to the Old Testament and they grabbed these phrases. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They begin to shout and to praise this over and over and over again. And this is not the first time that the Jewish people have ushered a king back into Jerusalem with these exact words. That's why I say they remembered. In 2 Kings 9, verse 13, the Jewish people worshiping this day of Jesus were not there in this moment, but they've heard this scroll in the synagogue. And they go back to it and they realize, 2 Kings 9, verse 13, they hurried and they took their cloaks off and they spread them under him on the, on the bare steps, then they blew the trumpet and they shouted, Jehu is king. So, so they remembered how Jehu came in and they go, okay, okay, we, we need to do at least that for the Messiah. So they, they take their cloaks off and then they went to Psalms 118, 25 and 26 and they scream out, oh Lord, save us. If you've ever heard the term Hosanna, that's the Hebrew word for save us. And Matthew adds that that was part of their praise. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So they're just quoting Psalms 118. Oh Lord, save us. Oh Lord, grant us success. You can see their motivation there. Lord, grant us success. They're wanting to be blessed by this Messiah. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord from the house of the Lord. We bless you. They are worshiping their king and it is awesome. The picture The crowd is enormous. Okay, pilgrims have been coming to Jerusalem now for weeks to prepare for the Passover celebration. They've been streaming into town. And now as this already large crowd tops the Mount of Olives, the crowd that's gathered in Jerusalem can hear these praises coming down. They're still about a mile out. But the people start to file out of Jerusalem to see what's going on. And the word probably gets to them that there's something big happening, that the Messiah is coming. So they begin to line the streets. They line the streets all the way into Jerusalem. Everyone, everyone falls into the procession. You've got those who are already walking with Jesus and the donkey. You've got those who are lining the streets as Jesus passes and waves. They shout and they praise. Mark tells us that people were cutting palm branches off nearby trees and waving them and laying them on top of the cloaks and the ground just to, pre- to prepare this pathway for Jesus to his throne right into Jerusalem. It, this is as big as it gets. A two-mile-long parade for the Messiah. The expectations are through the roof. They can't believe they get to be a part of this they just come for the Passover feast and now they're getting to experience this. This is is amazing. They shout glory to the highest. They're giving glory to God. And that's why I say they started by remembering and, and using their Old Testament text. But then they go to new, new worship and new praise. This is God doing this. And we give God the glory. We thank him for his peace. They can't help but worship in this moment. And as it cannot get any more exciting, the religious leaders come in to spoil all the fun. Luke 19, verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. So Jesus is riding on the back of a child donkey. It's not a big donkey even, it's a little donkey. So as he sits there with his feet barely off the ground... The religious leaders come up in their long robes with their huge hats and they come up beside Jesus and they say, you stop this now. You shut this down now. The teachers want to make sure and note that they show him a title of respect, rabbi. They call him rabbi, but not Lord, not Messiah, not son of man, not anything special, not anything deserving of this kind of praise. Teacher, shut this down. Tell them to be quiet. They're getting really close to blasphemy right now. They're getting really, really close to blasphemy. And if it gets any worse, you're going to cause these people to sin because they are praising you like you're the Messiah. They're praising you like you are the promised one. And you clearly are not. You're a carpenter's son from Nazareth. Tell them to stop before your arrogance causes them to sin. So, they're trying to put the pressure on Jesus. But that's not going to work because Jesus is not ever going to stop his people from praising. It's not going to work. And in reality, Jesus knows the hearts of the Pharisees. They're just scared that this can't happen. This crowd can't come into Jerusalem. They might just make him king. We might lose everything if this happens. So they meet him on the road and they say, you stop this now. I can't help but thinking. I can't help but thinking of in 2001, when I tried to bring contemporary worship to Poto, Oklahoma for my youth ministry. And after getting it started, we had a youth Sunday. I don't know if you've ever had one of those, but it's like where the youth get to lead the worship time in the main, the big church. We had a youth Sunday and we had a contemporary worship band that played and we sang contemporary worship songs and and people didn't necessarily engage. But I remember an elder pulling me aside after that service and he said, this is wrong. And I said, what is possibly wrong with this? What, What is wrong? And he said, it's irreverent. And by doing this, we're failing to teach our young people the beauty and importance of worship. What was he really saying? I'm afraid. I'm afraid of this because it's new and I don't like it. I'm afraid of losing control. And I'm going to chalk it up to youthful angst, but I did not handle the next few moments well with that elder. But now as I'm becoming older and I'm seeing what really probably happened on that day and what happened with the religious leaders is that sometimes our traditions and our comfort. They get in the way of the moment. Sometimes what makes us the most comfortable and sometimes just holding on to traditions, it stops us from seeing what God is doing right there on that day. And that's what's happening with the religious leaders. Their traditions and their comfort are in jeopardy. And so they come up and they say, this is wrong. It's irreverent. It's wrong. You've got to shut it down. It's not what we need to be teaching these people. So I see that now. I see the motivation now. But look at Jesus' response in verse 40. I tell you, and I know that what the religious leader just did to Jesus was a power move. But as Jesus is waving to all the people with that are cutting palm branches and throwing their coats on the ground. As, he, as he's just waving them, I think he leans down just a little bit to get in the ear of, of that teacher. And he says, I, I need you to know, I need you to know this. If, if, I, if they keep quiet, if they keep quiet, then, then the stones are going to start crying out. You, you see, you can't, you can't stop God's creation from worshiping him. You might have the political clout to to slow this down or to even stop it. But if it stops, if, if these people are quiet, the stones are going to cry out. And I can't imagine what the religious leader thought at hearing this. I'm not going to stop them because if they stop, the rocks will cry out because I'm worthy of praise. God is worthy of praise. They're right to praise me. Even though for some that are praising him at this very moment, they're doing so just because they're excited. They're doing so because it's the crowd mentality. It's, It's the big moment. But what Jesus is reminding the religious leader and us today is all of God's creation desires to praise him. We have that hardwired in us. We have that urge and desire to give thanks and praise to the one who made us. Isaiah 55 verse 12 talks about this. It says, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. It's talking about the Messiah. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. That's a beautiful picture and a metaphor. Because as we very well know, the rocks weren't really going to start singing. The rocks weren't really going to start praising. But what Jesus is saying is, you can't stop this. It's it's who they are. And your fear does not have enough clout. And as Jesus finally makes his way into Jerusalem, this huge mass of people following behind him, Still, I believe, praising, maybe now even more so, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that, that just reverberates all throughout Jerusalem. And as they come close to the temple courts, they cannot believe they're getting to witness this. It's happening right now. And you can hear their shouts and their praise get louder and louder and louder and louder. It's here, the moment, the coronation, the Messiah, it's happening now. And look what Jesus does. Luke doesn't tell us this, but Mark does, and it's worth noting. Look what Jesus does next. Jesus entered Jerusalem. He went to the temple. This is it. He looked around at everything that he saw. They think he's sizing it up. They think he's moving towards his throne. But since it was already late, he turned around, and he went back to Bethany with the twelve. He took his twelve disciples, and they traveled the two miles back up the road, stomping on the cloaks of those who forgot to grab theirs and the palm branches. And they walked slowly back to Bethany, to the house of Mary and Martha, and they had a late supper. And you got to think the crowd was just completely deflated. What in the what just happened? There's no way that just happened. What? There's... Tens of thousands of people ready to see this. And you, you come in and you just, you look and then you leave. This, this can't be right. So, something has gone horribly, horribly wrong. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew that that was just a moment of excitement, a moment of expectation. And that many, many of the people, now some I'm, I'm sure were genuinely worshiping him, but many were worshiping just out of expectation. They were just sure that the Messiah had come. They were sure that the one who was going to cast out and remove the Roman occupation was right there in front of them. The one who was going to bring in the era of peace and power. They were sure, they were witnessing it. They were on the front row of this life-changing moment. The one who would return the Jewish people back to their rightful place of prominence. They knew that was him. And he walks into the temple where he can do it all. And he turns around and he leaves. But I wonder, church, how often do we worship based on expectation? We praise because of what we expect God to do. We worship as a means of getting what we want from God. Hey, God, I praise you. I thank you for who you are. You're amazing. You're, you're capable. Oh, Lord. And in the back of our minds, we're thinking, I just, I need you to come through on this one. I need you to meet my expectations here. I'm praising you preemptively, but I need you to come through. Oftentimes we worship the blessing, not the blesser. And that's a huge problem because that's not true worship. That's, That's not the heart that the Father desires. So I have a question for you. What do you do when you don't get what you expect from God? What is your typical response when the answer comes back no? When the expectations are unmet? What, What is your typical response? What happens when metaphorically Jesus walks into the temple, looks around and heads back home? What, what happens when you think God's let you down? How do you respond in those moments? Do you still worship him because he's God and he's worthy? Do you worship him anyway? Because he's God and he's worthy? Or do you withhold your praise? Almost as an indictment against God. I, hey, buddy, this is a two-way street here. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Come on. To withhold your praise out of anger, frustration. Church worship can't be based on what God gives or doesn't give. For he has already given you all you need in Jesus. He has given you all you need. You need nothing more from him. You need nothing more to praise him. For he's God. He's worthy, and He still chooses to rescue and redeem. He still chooses to give His one and only Son. That's the kind of gracious, loving God that He is, and that's why I believe He's worthy of all our praise, regardless of whether or not He meets our expectations. God is enough. God is enough, and He's worthy of our praise. It's not easy. I'm I'm not for one second believing that what I'm saying is easy to do. But don't forget the words of Jesus. If you keep quiet, the rocks will cry out. God's still going to get his praise one way or another. And I think you and I, I think we should be more grateful for what we have been given by God than a tree. Yet, Isaiah And Jesus say, this rock and this tree, they'll they'll praise me. Even if you won't, they'll praise me. The heart of worship is that God is worthy of praise no matter what. That's the true heart of worship, that God is worthy of your praise no matter what. Whether your expectations have been met or not. The heart of worship realizes that God owes us nothing. He owes us nothing where he's already given us everything. The heart of worship says no to selfish desires and yes to the glory of God. And oh, that is so difficult, church. I don't for one second believe that that is easy, but that is right and that is good and that is worship, to say no to me and yes to the glory of God. That's how we should live. That's what we should do. And so I end with one simple final question. Will you do that today? Will you praise him today, regardless of your circumstances, simply because he's God? Father, help us to do just that because you are worthy, because you are good, because you are a blesser. But may we worship you primarily because you're God not for what you could do for us, but because of what you've already done through your son, Jesus. And because there is no one or no thing that we can possibly imagine that is more worthy of our praise than you. Let your Holy Spirit come and speak that truth to us and let our response be one of praise. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.